All right, Victory Church. What's up, guys? So, so have you guys, anybody in here ever known that person, like somebody that is absolutely atrocious with directions? Like, you can give them details, you can tell them all this stuff. Everybody's raising their hand, man. Yeah, so a lot of people do. So yeah, like that person that you can give details to, and they still get lost. They still get lost, man, either because they just don't listen well enough, or because they just have that unnatural, like, logic-defying ability to get lost. When it's like, dude, you have been there a million times. How do you still not know how to get there? I mean, this is ridiculous, man. This just makes no sense. Like, how, do, I mean, do you get lost, like, on the way to your bathroom, to your house, in your house, man? Like, I mean, maybe this person should have, like, a GPS tracker inside of them, just in case. Like, I think we've probably all met somebody or known somebody that was like this, just atrocious with directions. I know somebody um, really well, actually, that's like this. Um, it's similar to this. And, and actually, I see this person a whole lot. In fact, I see this person every time that I look into the mirror because that person is me. I am horrible with directions. If you guys try to tell me where to go, like, please pray for me. Pray for me. Pray for my family. My wife is like, yes, please pray for us. Oh, my goodness. I mean, it's horrible, man. I mean, just like logic defying the, the fact that I am so bad with directions, man, so bad. And I'm convinced, too, that, like, God had me in mind whenever he made GPSs, so you were welcome. You're welcome for that. I mean, it's horrible. But I think we've all probably been down the wrong path at some point in our life. Even if you're not horrible with directions like I am, I think we've all been down the wrong path. You know, just continued going down this bad path, this wrong path, and just ignoring or just, like, completely blowing past all the signals, all of the warning signs, just going down that path farther and farther until we get to the point where we don't even know how to get back home. We don't even know how to get back home. Today we're going to be talking about a guy that did exactly this. He was on a, not, not just a bad path, on a horrible path, man, just going just sprinting in the wrong direction. N- not only going past the warning signs, he went right through the warning signs, like putting his foot to the gas like even harder in the process, just going as fast as he could, sprinting in the wrong direction, regardless of anybody, regardless of what happened, regardless of who he hurt in the process. And what's worse is this guy knew where the right path was. He knew where the right path was, and he knew how to get back onto the right path, but he didn't care. He continued sprinting in the wrong direction. The big idea today, guys, is you can never outsin God's love, and you can never outrun God's reach. You can never outsin God's love, and you can never outrun God's reach. Let's pray. Father, I, I pray that you use this broken vessel right now. I pray that you speak in and through me, I pray that you anoint this time right now, God. I pray that you would speak into our lives, into our hearts, Father. Um, I pray that you would break off the things in our lives that are keeping us from intimacy with you, God, from being used by you, God. I pray that there's, if there's anybody in here today that and their eyes have not been opened to your love, your grace, your mercy, Father, uh, I pray that you would open eyes, Father, today. And again, God, I, I pray that you just use this time in mighty, mighty ways for your purposes. Get me out of the way and speak through me. Holy Spirit, I pray that you come and you just flood this place, that we can feel you tangibly. Father, I pray all these things in your mighty and precious name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So the guy that we're going to be talking about today, his name is King Manasseh. 
King Manasseh. But before we dive into this guy's life, I want to take a step back. I want to look at his father's life for just a moment. See, his father is King Hezekiah. And if you know anybody about anything about King Hezekiah, this guy was a godly king. He was a godly man and a godly king. He did what was right in God's sight. Now, he was not perfect. He made some bad, some stupid mistakes, but he was a very godly man. Let's check this guy out, 2 Kings 18, 5 through 8. It says, Hezekiah relied on the Lord God of Israel. Not one of the kings of Judah was like him, either before him or after him. He remained faithful to the Lord and did not turn from following him, but kept the commands the Lord commanded Moses. The Lord was with him, and wherever he went, he prospered. He rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. He defeated the Philistines as far as Gaza and its borders, from watchtower to fortified city. So King um, Hezekiah, again, he's a godly man, a godly king. He wasn't perfect, but he was a godly man. Then he has this son named Manasseh. Manasseh. And just because of that name alone, we just know this dude is like destined for something terrible with a name like that. I mean, this dude was probably picked on so much. I can see his buddies like calling him Manene or something. I mean, it's almost as bad as that, that Johnny Cash song where that guy names his son Sue. It's almost that bad. Like this dude was just destined for trouble, man. And then on top of that, see, King Manasseh, he actually served as co-regent with his father for 10 years. 10 years, okay? And so during this time, you would think that serving under a godly king, a godly man, this guy saw firsthand what a godly king, a godly man does. And you would think in that time that this guy would learn a thing or two. Now, we got to give a little bit of slack to Manasseh here because he was very, very young at this time. He was very young. But still, you would think he would have learned something. But here's the thing. History actually tells us that King Manasseh was the worst, the most immoral, the most evil, the most corrupt king that Judah ever had. In fact, he was worse than even the nations, the pagan nations and the pagan kings that were there before Israel came into the promised land. He was even worse than them. He was worse than the Amorites who were known for the brutality and their wickedness. He was worse than these guys. Like, it was almost like this guy, King Manasseh, made it his goal in life. He, like, sought out the worst people, the worst kingdom, and he was like, I'm going to be even worse than them. I'm going to be even more evil than those guys, man. I want to be the most evil person in the world. Like, in fact, if this guy had been interviewed, if the interviewer had asked him, hey, Manasseh, what's your goal in life, man? What's your, what, would, what, would you, what would you like to accomplish in life? He probably would have said something like, you know what, more than anything else, I, I just... I would love to be known as the most evil, the most wicked, the worst man on the planet. That would just bring me so much joy. That would just bring my heart joy. I mean, like, this dude is crazy. Like, the interviewer would be like, dude, get, get me away from this guy. I'm, like, interviewing Satan right now. This guy is horrible. He was horrible, guys. Horrible. And, again, he served under his father, King Hezekiah, who was a godly man, a godly King. Let's check out some of the horrible things that this guy did in 2 Chronicles 33, verses 1 through 6. It says, Manasseh was 12 years old when he became, when he became king. So hold up for just a second there. First off, moral of the story, do not let a 12-year-old run your kingdom or your household. I mean, you are just asking for trouble if you let a 12-year-old run something, okay? So, and then he, and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem, by the way, that was the longest reign of any king in Judah's history. The longest reign. He did what was evil in the Lord's sight, imitating the detestable practices of the nations that the Lord had disposed before the Israelites. He rebuilt the high places that his father Hezekiah had torn down. Now hold up for a second. 
I want to pause on these words, high places here. So high places, th- these were places where um, people would go and they would worship these false gods. And in Canaan, they had used these high places as places of where, where they would do like orgies. And they would do, you know, just uh, human sacrifices. These were horrible, horrible places. And in fact, whenever the Israelites came into um, uh, the promised land, God had a few things that he told them to do. He was like, make sure you do this, this, and this. And so one of those things was to get rid of all of the high places, to just completely abolish them. He was like, I don't even want to, to like the remnants of these things in my kingdom. And they were horrible, detestable. And see, through the years, we'd have good kings, but then we'd have a lot more bad kings through Israel's, the history of Israel. And, and there were a lot more bad kings. So some of these bad kings, they would resurrect, they would build up these high places again. But Hezekiah... Again, Manasseh's father, he came in, he completely wiped them out. He destroyed them. So Manasseh understands what these things are. He understands that they are detestable in God's sight. He knows what they are used for. And even with this knowledge, he still builds them up again. Even knowing what he is doing and how horrible it is, he still builds these things up Again, let's keep on continuing on in this story. We haven't even barely skimmed the surface of what this guy did, man. Let's continue on. Second Chronicles 33, the end of verse 3 there. It says, and, and he reestablished the altars for the bales. He made Asherah poles, and he bowed in worship to all the stars in the sky and served them. He built altars in the Lord's temple where the Lord had said, Jerusalem is where my name will remain forever. So this dude had the audacity to make, to, to build up these altars in the Lord's temple. That, like, that's about as bad as, like, somebody coming in here and building up a bunch of altars, like, all over this church up on the stage and doing, like, you know, worshiping these false gods, you know, practicing witchcraft or whatever else, man. And what you're doing in those moments when you're, when we're worshiping other gods, you know, witchcraft, whatever it may be, a lot of people don't realize it, but you're worshiping Satan. You're worshiping Satan, and, and you're inviting Satan and these demonic presences into your life and so essentially what king hezekiah was doing was he was inviting satan and the demonic presences into the house of god and worshiping them and here's the thing let's go a step further with this as christians you guys know what the temple is what's the temple now it's us it's us when we invite these things into our life see as christians we can't be possessed but we can be oppressed we can be oppressed, so you are inviting these things into our life, these demonic presences into your life. And they start taking over and telling you what to do. This guy was just absolutely horrible. What he was doing, let's continue on in verse 5 here. It says, he built altars to all the stars in the sky and both courtyards of the Lord's temple. He passed his sons through the fire in Ben-Hinnom Valley. He practiced witchcraft, divination, and sorcery and consulted mediums and spiritists. He did a huge amount of evil in the Lord's sight, angering him. There are so many horrible things that we could talk about there, and there's so many other things too. Um, But I want to hit on something here for a moment that we see in this text. When it says that he passed his sons through the fire. He passed his sons through the fire. So what it literally means there, the literal translation, if you go back in the Greek, uh, and you look at it, it means he passed his sons through the fire. He literally took his kids, his sons, and threw them into the fire, worshiping other false gods, man. This guy was horrible. 
not just killing his kids as a sacrifice, but tossing them into the fire to be burnt to death. And we're still not done reading about the horrible, evil things this guy did, if that's not enough. It continues on. Second Chronicles 33, 7 through 17. It says, Manasseh set up a carved image of the idol which he had made and God's temple that God had spoken about to David and his son Solomon. I will establish my name forever in this temple and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all of the tribes of Israel. I will never again remove my feet from the, of the Israelites from the land where I stationed your ancestors. If only they will be careful to do all that I have commanded them through Moses, all the laws, statutes, and judgments. So Manasseh caused Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to stray so that they did worse evil, get that worse evil than the nations the Lord had destroyed before the Israelites. Even worse evil, man. See, Satan, our sinful desires, the sinful pleasures of this life, man, they promise us so many things. They promise us so many things. They, they kind of, you know, just draw us in. You know, we're so enticed by these things and, and our sinful desires and, and Satan, but all they ever really give us, all they give us is more struggles, more pain, more hardships. That's all they ever truly give us. See, from the outside looking, you know, from the outside and it looks far away, it, you know, Satan, our sinful pleasures and desires, man, they kind of paint this picture, this illusion that looks so beautiful. It looks just incredible and it draws us in. And it's only as we get closer that we can truly see this illusion for what it truly is. But at that point, we've gotten so close that we've actually become a part of it. See, as the old saying goes, you know, you are what you eat. In this case, you become the evil that you allow into your life. Before you know it, you become the evil that you have allowed into your life. Satan promises us roses, guys. He promises us roses. He, he is the ultimate um, liar. He's the chief of deception, the best at it, very good at it. He promises us roses, but all he ever gives us is thorns. That's all he ever gives us. So we're going to see a turn of events in, in this man's life. He did so much more than this, but I wanted to unpack a little bit of that here just to give you an idea. So we're going to see of a turn of events. His sin finally catches up to him, and we're going to see the repercussions of that and what happens here. In 2 Chronicles 33, 10 through 17, it says, The Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they didn't listen. So he brought against them the military commanders of the king of Assyria. They captured Manasseh with hooks, bound him with bronze shackles, and took him to Babylon. When he was in distress, he sought the favor of the Lord his God and earnestly humbled himself before the God of his ancestors. He prayed to him, and the Lord was receptive to his prayer. So, so right here, when it talks about the hooks and the shackles there, I want to pause on that for a moment. See, part of the hooks and the shackles, I mean, you obviously you had hooks and shackles all over him, but part of that was actually this giant, big old nose ring that, the, that they put into his nose. So this guy might actually be the first dude in recorded history that had a nose ring, which is kind of crazy. But um, So that he has this big old nose ring. They take him captive, and the reason that they put this in there in his nose was to humiliate him, man, to absolutely humiliate him. What they would do at times is they would actually grab them by their captors, by the nose ring, and just pull them. So it's like, okay, so yeah, you don't want to go over here? Do here? Let me grab you by your nose ring. I'm just going to yank you over here. Just absolutely humiliate. 
And it speaks to how far down this guy had come. He was the king of Judah. The king. I mean, he had all of this wealth, all of this stuff that God had given him. And he had gone so far down, like to the bottom of this pit. He probably wished at times that he was at the bottom of a pit alone rather than being captive by these guys. I mean, this is horrible what he was going through here. And we see a couple interesting things in this section of the text as well. We see that God warned Manasseh to stop, but he didn't listen. God warns him, but he didn't listen. He just kept on going down that path, that wrong path. See, so often in life, you know, we'll go down this wrong path. We'll go down this, you know, a certain path. And, and, and you know, we, we think to ourselves, you know, what, we'll, what, God, why didn't you say something? Why didn't you do something? Like, why didn't you stop me? Right? Well, what's going on? God, I'm at the bottom of a pit. Why didn't you say something or do something? But what we don't realize is we have gone past so many road signs, so many things that God has done in our life to get our attention, either through, you know, Scripture, through a sermon, through a song, through somebody else that's speaking into our life. We've continued to ignore him through the process. We've ignored him and gone down our own path. And that's what this guy has done. In fact, history even tells us, Jewish tradition tells us, that the prophet Isaiah lived during this time. And that Manasseh actually had the prophet Isaiah killed. The prophet Isaiah goes up, warns him. This dude is like one of the greatest prophets that ever walked the earth. And he had him killed. The history actually tells us that the prophet Isaiah, when he found out that Manasseh wanted to kill him, he went and he hid in a tree. And what did they do when they found him? They sawed him in half. Sawed him in half. All these things that God did, these warning signs, sending the prophets. And yet this guy didn't listen. He didn't listen. Because God is constantly speaking to us. No matter what is going on in our life, even when we feel like, you know, we're not hearing them. We're wondering, what's going on? Why am I not hearing you? Why have I gotten to this pit in my life? He is constantly speaking to us. Constantly. But again, we get so distracted with our own desires, with our own pleasures. We're going down this path, sprinting down this path, not even taking the time to ask ourselves, am I truly listening to God? Am I truly like wanting to know what His will is? If I'm on the right path. Because the thing is, guys, ultimately we should be asking ourselves, am I too distracted with my own time frames, my own agendas, my own desires to actually listen and to want to know what God's will is for my life? Am I too distracted in the moment? It's a heart check, guys. It's a heart check. And we need to ask ourselves this constantly. Jeremiah 29, 12 through 13 says, you will call to me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. Again, guys, the question is, are we truly seeking him? And are we truly searching for his will in our lives? We also see something else that's amazing in this text. We see this horrible, atrocious, evil guy. He's done so much stuff, so much evil. But then we see him calling out to God and asking for forgiveness. All these evil things that this guy has done, calling out to God, asking him 
to forgive him. He has the audacity to ask him to forgive him. And what does God do? He looks at him and he forgives him. He forgives him. Guys, some of you may be struggling with some things in your life and you're struggling with this thought that, you know what, God could never forgive me. God could never forgive me. You don't know my past. You don't know the things that I've done in my life. God could never forgive me, man. But I'm going to tell you something. We do not serve a God that is bound by the weight of our sin. The weight of our sin is bound by our God with a single word. And that word is forgiven. Forgiven. And it's not based on what we've done. He doesn't give us forgiveness based on what we've done. It's based on what Jesus Christ has done for us in our place on the cross. Let's keep on going in this text with 2 Chronicles 33. 13 through 14, which says he granted his request. This is God talking about Manasseh. He, he granted his request and brought him back to Jerusalem. He brings him back to Jerusalem, to his kingdom. So Manasseh came to know that the Lord is God. After this, he built the outer wall of the city of David from west of Gion in the valley to the entrance of the fish gate. He brought it around to the Opel and heightened it considerably. He also placed military commanders in all the fortified cities of Judah. He removed the foreign gods and the idol from the Lord's temple, along with all the altars that he had built on the mountain of the Lord's temple and in Jerusalem. And he threw them outside of the city. He built the altar of the Lord and offered fellowship and thanks offering on it. Then he told Judah to serve the Lord, the God of Israel. However, people still sacrificed at the high places, but only to the Lord their God. Only to the Lord, their God. This guy was completely redeemed, man. Completely redeemed. Just like the, the prophet Joel says, he restores the years the locusts have eaten, and that is evident in this guy's life. He restores the years that the locusts have eaten in Manasseh's life when he repents. And God doesn't, ju he doesn't just redeem us by bringing us out of the pit that we put ourselves into. He also restores us so that we can walk in victory. He doesn't just bring us out of the pit. He restores us so that we can walk in victory, guys. And see, just as King Manasseh, we were also in shackles. We were imprisoned with absolutely no hope, no rescue, until God stepped into our muck, into our situations. And because of his reckless grace, mercy, and love, he bought back our freedom. He bought us our freedom. Colossians 2, 13 through 14 says, And when you were dead in trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him and forgave us all our trespasses. He erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us. And he has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. And no matter how close I think I am to God, no matter how, how much I think I can feel him, Man, I am still tore up from the floor of, and I am need. I am in, in such credible need of his grace, his love, and his mercy all of the time. All of the time. It's only because of Christ's redemptive work where he took my certificate of debt and your certificate of debt, placed it on his back along with the cross meant for you and for me, marched up to Calvary, and just before he died, just before he breathed his last, he said, Tetelestai, it is finished. Your debt has been paid in full. Your debt has been paid in full. 
It's only because of Christ's redemptive work that you have been set free. And guys, when you are a child of God, when you have been saved, when you have been redeemed, absolutely nothing can ever take that away from you. Nothing can take that away from you. And I'm going to tell you something else. Nothing can ever take God's love away from you either. Absolutely nothing. Romans 8, 37 through 39 says, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor things created, things able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. If I could talk. Guys, I'm going to tell you something. You can never out God's love. And you can never outrun God's reach, no matter what you've done or have not done. You may feel a million miles away, but I'm going to tell you something. You are not powerful enough. Your struggles are not powerful enough. Your past is not powerful enough to break God's unbreakable love for you. Absolutely nothing can break. Nothing can take away God's love for you. You are never more than one step away from him, ever. And he's just waiting for you with arms open wide, regardless of what you've done, regardless of your past, regardless of your struggles, regardless of how many times you've spit in his face, regardless of how many times you've denied him. He has never left you. He has never stopped loving you. He is able to forgive you. He is willing to accept you, and he is ready to meet you where you are at. He is ready to meet you where you are at, and thank God we have a God that meets us where we are at. He doesn't wait for us to get to a certain point where we're ready. Because I'm going to tell you something, you are never ready. If you spend your life waiting until you are ready, you're going to be waiting forever because you will never be ready. You will never be ready. You will never deserve the grace of God found only through Jesus Christ. The Father sent his one and only Son to die for us. Stop trying to deserve that and simply embrace it. Just embrace it, guys. Stop trying to fight him and lean into him. Stop trying to deny him and realize you are, he is all around us. He is all around us. And you are never too far for him to reach you. No matter where you've gone in life, no matter what you've done, no matter what you're struggling with, no matter what your past is, you are never more than just a step away from him. When I think about my kids, Darcy and Liam, I, I think about how much I love them. And there's nothing that they have to do Nothing that they have to say to earn that love. I love them so much. And I think you as parents um, can, can understand this and relate to this. There's nothing they have to do, man. And, and I long for them more than anything else to know how much I love them. To know how much God loves them. I long for them to thrive in life. You know, no matter what happens in this life, the struggles, the pains, the heartaches. I long for them to walk in victory, being a light in this dark and dying world. Because they know who they are and whose they are. That's what I long for them more than anything else. And again, knowing how much I love them. Because even if my kids were to turn their back on me, even if they were to deny me, even if they were to spit in my face, curse me, take everything that I have, I'm going to tell you something that they can never take away from me. And that is my love and my longing for them. My love and my longing for them. They could never take that away. I'm going to tell you something else. They can never go so far away from me, from their daddy. They couldn't turn around and say, Daddy, I'm so sorry. I love you so much. 
And I'm ready to come home. I'm ready to come home. As if that's true for me, a fallible, broken, sinful man who has issues, how much more is that true for our perfect, loving, gracious, kind, patiently, patient, heavenly Father? How much more true is that for him? As God loves us so much, it's not because of what you've done or what you haven't done. It's not because of your past. There is nothing you could ever do to deserve his love, his grace, and his mercy. He loves you simply. Loves you simply because. I feel like there's some people here today, and you've been, you've been going through life carrying some, some burdens, some pains, some struggles, whatever it may be, and you're just loaded down with these things in your life. And you're like, this is so hard. I can't keep going like this. It's so painful. It's so hard. There's no way that I can keep doing this. And I'm going to tell you something. You are exactly right. You are exactly right. You cannot carry that load. But you are not meant to. You're not meant to. All you're meant to do is give it to God. God is meant to carry that load. All he asks is that we follow him. Give him our loads. Give him our burdens. Give him our struggles. He'll carry it, and then he'll lead you all the way home. That's what God longs for us to do. Simply follow him. Follow in his direction. And he's going to lead us all the way home. I want to end today by reading a poem. And this poem, it really depicts the Christian life, the struggles, the hardships, the different things that we come into contact. It's one of my favorite, favorite poems. And pay attention to these words. Listen to these words as I read these. One night a man had a dream. He dreamed that he was walking along the beach with the Lord. Across the sky flashed scenes from his life. For each scene he noticed two sets of footprints and sand, one belonging to him and the other to the Lord. When the last scene of his life flashed before him, he looked back at the footprints in the sand. He noticed that many times along the path of his life, there was only one set of footprints. He also noticed that it happened at the very lowest and saddest times in his life. This really bothered him, and he questioned the Lord about it. He said, Lord, you said that once I decided to follow you, you'd walk with me all the way. But I've noticed that during the most troublesome times in my life, there's only one set of footprints. I don't understand why when I needed you the most, you would leave me. And the Lord replied, My son, my precious child, I love you and I would never leave you. During your times of trial and suffering, when you see only one set of footprints, it was then that I carried As no matter what you may have done in your past, have done, haven't done, no matter how far you've traveled from God, know that you can never outsend God's love. And you can never outrun God's reach. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your incredible grace. 
your love, your mercy, your forgiveness. God, I thank you for what you've done in our place. Buying our freedom that we can never buy. Giving us life and freedom. And not only that, you don't just stop there. You don't just bring us out of the pit. Save us and just leave us. But you continue redeeming our life. The fact that you you bring back the years that the locusts have eaten in our life. You redeem us all the time, God, in order to help us walk in victory in our life as more than conquerors. God, I pray that if there's anybody here today who's struggling, we're all struggling, but people that are struggling with things, and, and Father, that they've been swaying from you, they've been running, sprinting in the wrong direction, I pray that you would open their eyes and their hearts. Let them know that you love them so much were right there right there waiting with arms open wide God I pray that you would help us all to continually run into your arms follow after you asking ourselves what is God's will for my life I pray all these things in your mighty and precious name Jesus